Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome again. Uh, My name is Russ. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Like Anna said, at Hope Brooklyn, we believe wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Would you join me in prayer before we kick off today's message? Uh, God, it is such good news. It's such good news that even as we existed in our fallenness, our waywardness, even as we are unable to come to you, you came to us. You came to us and you called us sons and daughters and you invited us into the family at no cost to us. You paid the cost through your son, Jesus. And now, Lord, as we enter into this next series together as a community, um, as we start looking at practices that grow our awareness of you, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you invite us in the next step of the journey? Would we not be a people content with where we are if where we are isn't good enough? If, if where we are is, is still in anxiety and questions, would we not say, well, that's enough? Would we test you, Lord? Would we take a step of faith towards you and meet you in that? For through Christ, you've given us everything. So we bless your name, Lord. We praise you. It's in your name. Amen. All right. Well, welcome again. And uh, as I just said, we are starting a new series today, a new series that we are calling The Way of Jesus. The Way of Jesus. Uh, It sort of comes out of the verse that has been pretty formative for us at the start of 2019, um, where, where Jesus is talking and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's a pretty presumptuous claim, isn't it? It's very exclusive and there's no way around it. Jesus is saying that if you come to me, Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, the itinerant rabbi saying, if you come to me, I will give you an abundance of life that you have yet to experience. I will give you the secret to what your heart has always pined after. It's very exclusive. There's no way around it. And maybe there's some questions on the front end of, is that really true? Is there really no way to life, to peace outside of Jesus? I can't answer that fully today. I am gonna answer it in the spring. I'm a sort of uh, approach, grasp at an answer, but here's what I'd say right now for our purposes today. Yes. (laughs) In the fullest sense of that word of what life and peace means, in the fullest sense, there is no way to experience it. The abundance of life, but what is found in him. We see in the story of Jesus of Nazareth, a power and a vitality that we don't see anywhere else. Frankly, objectively, that is true. Like when you look at the historical books, you see something different in Jesus that we don't find elsewhere. But here's also what I'd say. C.S. Lewis has this great line where he talks about arithmetic, about math. And he goes, of course, there's one right answer, right? There's one right answer, but there's multiple wrong ones. Makes sense. And 
there are some wrong ones that are a lot closer to the right one than others. So there are some wrong answers that follow the logic, that understand certain of the concepts, but just go wrong maybe one step before the, the right answer. And I think that's sort of getting at this. Yes, I see tremendous overlap in some of the major faith traditions, absolutely. Where I don't see overlap is in the stories of the religious founders. There is nothing, there is no story like the story of Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Lewis, as he says, he goes, we know that no one can be that no one can come to the Father but through the Son. We do not know that only those who have that knowledge can be saved through him. That's still yet to be found out. So more on this later, but, but the, the short answer is, yes, there is no way to the abundance of life but through Jesus. But there are some that sort of have some of that overlap. The, the arithmetic is getting to the right place if it's not fully there yet. The claim, this claim though, that Jesus makes about himself is not without justification, right? It's not without justification. Here's a line from Napoleon Bonaparte, which consider the source for sure, but I think he definitely knew human nature. And it's a really interesting uh, quote. He goes, I know men. I tell you, Jesus Christ was not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, myself founded empires, but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon sheer force. Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love, sacrificial love. And at this hour, millions of men and women will die for him. And every other existence but that of Christ, how many imperfections? From the first day to the last, he is the same, majestic and simple, infinitely firm and infinitely gentle. He proposes to our faith a series of mysteries and commands with authority that we should believe them, giving no other reason than those tremendous words, I am God. The Bible contains a complete series of acts and of historical men to explain time and eternity, such as no other religion has to offer. If it is not the true religion, one is very excusable in being deceived, for everything in it is grand and worthy of God." Or as G.K. Chesterton says, if this is all a universal blunder, it is a blunder as solitary as the incarnation. And what he's meaning is there is no other claims like this one. So if we are all being deceived, my gosh, what a deception it has been. Because there's nothing like Jesus of Nazareth. Which is why it's also important on the front end, we talk about the way of Jesus. The invitation to all of us in this room is not to come to a church. You're not gonna find rest in a church. It's not to come to certain practices. You're not gonna find rest in those practices. It's not even to come to love of humanity itself. That won't give you rest. The invitation exclusive is to come to Jesus. We are a community insofar as we are coming to Jesus. And if we stop doing that and we just focus on coming to one another, we will implode. That will be what happens. And that does happen in a lot of churches. The invitation is not to Christianity. The invitation is to Christ, which again, Chesterton, he goes, you may find that the Christ of the gospels is a far more strange and terrifying figure than the Christ of the church. And that is true. <laughs> but this isn't a series, like I said, about proving G Jesus's identity as if I could even do that. I can't. But I wanna start this way to say, as we look at the practices, the way of Jesus, we cannot separate the way of Jesus from Jesus. 
We cannot separate his way from him. And if we just come to the practices themselves, what we'll find is a tolerable enlightenment, a vague something. We'll get closer to the right answer, but we won't get the abundant life that he promises us. And eventually, if we just come to the practices, but not him, we'll become Pharisees. We'll become religious, self-righteous, hypocritical people. And we will definitely miss out on the abundance of life that he's saying is ours. So the reason, the reason that we should come to Jesus is because when we look at his story, we see an abundance of life, a power that we don't see elsewhere. And so I wanna look at that today as we set up this series together. I wanna look at that question, what is this abundant life? And how did Jesus of Nazareth get it? What is this abundant life that we see in him and how did this figure, Jesus of Nazareth, get it? First, let's, just, let's uh, define life. Let's take it to Erwin Schrodinger, right? Whose cat may or may not still be alive. We're not sure, we're not sure. Um, bad joke. <laughs> but Erwin Schrodinger, he's a Nobel uh, winning physicist. And this is what he says. <clears throat> he says, what is the characteristic feature of life? When is a piece of matter said to be alive? When it goes on doing something, moving, exchanging material with its environment and so forth. How does a living organism avoid decay? The obvious answer is by eating, drinking, breathing, and in the case of plants, assimilating. The technical term is metabolism. The Greek word metabolane means change or exchange. It's very simple, right? It's very elementary. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got something in my throat. Basically saying what we consume, what we eat, what we drink, what we breathe, what we consume, we will metabolane, we will metabolize, we will exchange it and change it into vitality, to life. And this is important that we start from this because we in the West, we are emerging out of a period of history that is still very deeply within us called the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment. And it's never a good idea to reduce anything to like one quote, but that's exactly what I'm gonna do right now. Um, if you could reduce the enlightenment to, to one simple idea, it'd probably be Descartes' famous, I think, therefore I am, right? I think, therefore I am. That uh, what he's getting at is that the source of being, the source of life, of, of, of abundance, of the human existence is located in our minds and what we think and how we think and not in our bodies. You've seen the famous Cartesian split that to be a human is a mind plus a body, right? That to be a human is mind plus body equals human being alive. But per the enlightenment, what really means to be human is found in the mind part, not the body part. And this is why this is important. It's because they're getting the idea that reason is universal. That if we simply think the right things, if we think correctly, we'll discover the highest form of humanity. We'll discover that abundant life. We'll emancipate humanity from the shackles of dogma and superstition and death. But if the source of human life is our mind and not also sort of taken into account biological material, well then what happens is we can uh, develop reason for all sorts of things. If it's just the way we think, sort of divorced from other factors, 
well, then it becomes reasonable to, an, to exterminate an entire race of people because we clearly can think and know that they are subhuman and we're more human. That becomes reasonable. It becomes reasonable to drop two atomic bombs on civilian cities in the name of peace. That's reasonable. It becomes reasonable to enslave groups of people based on arbitrary factors like skin color. That's reasonable. See, what happens is, is we start asking the questions, if what it means to be human, to be alive, is in your mind, not in anything else, then when do you stop being human? When you develop dementia? Are you, are you still a human at that point? When do you start being human? At what point do you have the, the consciousness, the, the sentience available to ascribe to you the rights of a human being? Keep in mind that we are the most civilized, right? We're the most civilized, and yet out of the Enlightenment, we developed eugenics. We did that to sort of purge out uh, bad examples of what it means to be human and to pursue the highest superhuman. That was us. How reasonable. And to quote Hauerwas, because I realize I haven't quoted him in a while, and you know, he, he called me, he says, what's up? I've been listening to the sermons. Why aren't you dropping my name? But he writes, in a hundred years, if Christians are identified as people who do not kill their children or the elderly, we will have done well, because that's clearly coming. It's a provocative line, but I do think he sees something in our logic. How emancipated are we? How reasonable are we? How alive are we? All right, so then, if the source of life, as I'm clearly saying, is not just how we think, where does it come from? Where is it? Well, if you look at the ancient scientists, ancient science in Egypt and Greece, uh, you find they didn't really find the brain all that interesting. What they studied was the heart. For them to be human, to be alive, was not primarily about what you think, but what you do, how you act. And what you do is determined by what you most want. If you've been with us throughout the month of January, we've been talking about this a lot. What you most want. What you most want is what your heart loves. And fascinating that our current neuroscience is kind of proving this. That, that, that the enlightenment said that what it meant to be human was in the brain and the brain controlled everything else. Now we're realizing there's kind of a two-way street between the brain and the body. They sort of inform one another. This is where we get the term neuroplasticity. That our actions can rewire our brains. Our actions, what we do, can actually change how we think, can help form new habits. Richie Davidson, which is a psychologist that helped name neuroplasticity, he actually has an um, experiment where he studied compassion. He studied compassion by putting EEG hats, helmets, whatever they are, on monks. And here's what he found, so incredible. He found that these monks, over time, as they started doing compassionate things, as they started engaging compassionate acts, their amygdala would shrink. Which if you're a neuroscientist, you're already like on the floor with that one. The amygdala, for those who don't know, it's basically where the fight or flight uh, part of the brain is. So, you know, when you're in a stressful situation, stressful environment, it's the self-preservation part that says, what are we doing? We are we fleeing? Are we fighting? How are we doing this? It's preserving the self. But he's found 
that if you just, rather than think about the self, engage in compassion, compassionate acts, despite whether you feel particularly compassionate at that point, your amygdala shrinks. And the functional connectivity between your brain and the prefrontal cortex, which is, does a lot of things, but it's the, the more selfless part, more aware part, that gets stronger. Y'all, that's insane. That is insane. <laughs> the body, how you live, can rewire your brain. If you're selfish, start practicing compassion. I don't care if you feel it or not. Eventually, you will. But see, that gets at what I'm saying. If the source of life is not in how we think, that if we go to that mind plus body equals human, it's not in either mind or body, there's a two-way street between them, well then maybe deeper than both the mind and the body is the heart, what you love. So I wanna take Descartes and instead of saying, I think, therefore I am, I wanna change it to, I love, therefore I am. And what I love determines what I am. And I don't wanna you know, go too far into the tangent, but that would fit with the creator who says, if you wanna know my name, just call me love. I am that I am, he said to Moses. I love and I am. You can riff on that for days. What we love informs what we do and what we do changes how we think. Schrodinger, how does a living organism avoid decay? The obvious answer is by eating, by drinking, by breathing, by assimilating. The technical term is metabolism. Greek word metabolane means change or exchange. What you consume, you will metabolize. You will change into energy, to life or death, one or the other. So it's not mind plus body equals human. Deeper than both of those is what do you love? Because whatever you love, that's what you're gonna do. And whatever you love, that's how you're gonna think and what you're gonna see, and those two are gonna inform one another. Love, what you feed your heart matters most of all because it's being metabolized into either life or death. What are you feeding yourself? Now, if all of that just seems hopelessly and unnecessarily complex, which I can do that sometimes, I'm sorry, let's just go to what Jesus said. Luke 6, here's what he says. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. An evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You have to feed yourself something. You'll know what you're feeding yourself based on the fruits of your life. It's that simple because you can't pick figs from thorn bushes and you can't pick grapes from briars. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Whatever the good is that's stored up in your heart, whatever it is you're consuming will manifest itself, will be metabolized 
into a certain kind of fruit. What is coming out of your life? What fruit is there? Check what you're eating. If an apple tree is producing rotten apples, I got questions. I have questions. And this is important, friends, because in the Western church, going back to that whole enlightenment thing, we fought many battles over the last couple years, and by couple I mean hundred, over right doctrine, over what we think about God. And yes, that's important, but what I'm trying to get across today is that what we think about God does not change what fruit our lives produce. I'm paraphrasing here James K. Smith, who's a philosopher, a Christian philosopher, and this is what he says. Too much of our cultural analysis is rooted in thinking thingism. It's a fun word. Thinking thingism. We scan culture, listening for messages, bent on rooting out false teachings. But if we are first and foremost lovers, and if our action is overwhelmingly governed by what our hearts consume, then intellectual threats might not be the most important. Indeed, we could be so fixated on intellectual temptations that we don't realize our hearts are being co-opted by rival gods all the while. We fight over language. We fight over who's who and what's what. We fight over doctrines and truth and all sorts of issues. But all the while, what we most love is not Jesus and coming to him. What we most love is ourselves or we love love itself or we love winning or we love control or order or comfort or you name it. It's like the square and the rectangle, right? A square can be a rectangle, but a rectangle can't be a square. So if we go to, to Jesus, we get all those things. We learn how to think rightly about God. We, we, we actually get to love people well. We get all that. But if we go to those other things, we don't get the source of it all. And eventually, because there's no source, it will dry up and we'll produce rotten apples. You think and for many of us, this can be confusing because we think we're, we're coming to Jesus, we love Jesus, we're, we're eating the right things, but we're doing it for the wrong reasons. We're doing it not for his sake alone, but we're doing it to get control, which means what our heart most loves is actually control, which makes it really confusing and complex. Good trees, based on what they've consumed, they're going to bring out good fruits. And the inverse is also true. What are you feeding yourself? If you want to know, look at your life. Like objectively, look at the fruits of your life. What anxieties or, or emotional temperaments seem to be natural? How do you respond when stress enters your life? What anger or peace is there? What joy or despair is there? How do you treat people? How do you treat your job? How do you view it? These are all questions that get at the fruits of what's coming out. And then you can ask yourself, well, what am I really feeding on? What am I consuming? So how do you feed on Christ? Well, he says it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Or depending on where you are spiritually, they, some of you might not be followers of Jesus. That's cool. But he would say to you, well, you won't know me until you start consuming me. You won't know me until you start consuming me. 
What you think about me does not affect experiencing abundant life. Coming to me, hearing my words, putting them into practice, entering a healthy relationship, that does. That will start to metabolize something new. We know what we truly believe by what we do. And we know based on that, what we truly love by what our life produces. Now, this whole conversation was begun because we were talking about abundant life and what it means to live. And, and what I said, the claim I made is we see something in the historical Jesus of Nazareth that we don't see anywhere else. We see a life that seems so potent, so full of power, so unpredictable, so simple that we don't see it anywhere else. I know men, says Napoleon, and Jesus Christ is no mere man. And just a couple verses I pulled out at random, stuff that came to my head. When you read through the accounts of Jesus of Nazareth's ministry, you see stuff like this all the time. Mark 1, verse 27. They, they meaning the crowds, they were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. There's a life and a vitality and a power over unclean spirits. They went to Capernaum in Mark 1:21, And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and he taught and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. There was a life and a power in his teaching going to death because Jesus, his story seems to always be oriented not toward what he's teaching or healing, but to receiving death, going to death, standing before Pontius Pilate, who's a very powerful political ruler. And basically Pilate's trying to question him and we're told Jesus made no further reply. So that Pilate was amazed. Who is this guy? Everyone, he calms storms, disciples are out of their minds. He walks on water, people are terrified. He goes back to his hometown and he teaches and he heals there. And people are like, who is this? Isn't this Jesus? Don't we know his mom and his, and his dad and his brothers and sisters? Where did he get this? Where did he get such power and authority? And even in the story, which again is astonishing if, if they're telling the story to try to get you to realize who he is. One of his closest followers, John the Baptist, has a moment of doubt in the end. And because Jesus was not how he thought God was gonna come and save. And he sends his, uh, his followers to Jesus and goes, are you actually the one? And this is Jesus's reply. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. Dead are raised and the poor have good news brought to them. Jesus says, you wanna know who I am? Look at what my life produces. Look at its fruits. There's power in what I say. There's power over disease. There's power over the elements, power before the most powerful political rulers. And even as we learn, power over death. For he is killed and three days later, people start losing their minds because he's not in the tomb. And some people are saying, we actually had encounters with him. A life that can't even be conquered by death. What kind of life is this? We're seeing the fruits of 
of the life of Jesus of Nazareth that we don't see anywhere else. There is a power flowing from him that if Schrodinger is our key, I'm looking at Jesus and I'm going, I'll have whatever he's having. Whatever he's eating, I'd like to eat that too because he's metabolizing a life and a power that we don't see anywhere. What did Jesus eat? What did Jesus love? What did he feed on that gave him such a life and an energy and a power and produced such fruits, the sort of which we don't see anywhere else? They asked him this question and this is how he answered. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. Check that. Don't believe me unless I do the works of my father, unless I do things that you don't see anywhere else. But if I do them, even though you still don't believe me, even though you still doubt, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Notice that concession. Even if you don't believe him, look at the fruits. Look at what his life produced. Look at the story that has emerged from him. Look at the fact that Napoleon says, at this hour, billions are willing to lay down their life for a poor Jewish carpenter who had a short, very, very short career, if you want to call it that, caused such a hubbub, didn't live a life that would necessitate starting an empire off of it, died on a cross, supposedly was resurrected, and has spread like wildfire across the entire world. What fruits have emerged from this life? There is no story like this one. So even if you don't believe him, believe the results. I'll have whatever he's having. And what did Jesus love? What was his heart after? What influenced both his mind and his body? And unfortunately, friends, it wasn't you, nor was it me. It was the Father. It was the source of life himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. God in his very nature is a community, is perfect intimacy, which is why what our hearts seem to long for more than anything else is to know another and to be known. Is an intimacy so deep, we don't know where one person starts and the other person begins. That's who God is in God's self. And that's what gave Jesus life as he walked this earth. It was not his love for you. It was because he loved the father, he was able to love you and me. The energy of Jesus's life was the father himself. What we see in Jesus of Nazareth is a human so perfectly united with God that the two are one. And if you don't believe what he says, believe what his life produces for a good tree can't produce bad fruits and a bad tree can't produce good fruits. We've been saying this throughout to, to build up for this. This is Richard Rohr's line. Because you cannot earn the presence of God. You're already in the presence of God. What we're lacking is awareness. 
See, that's the whole point of this story. This is the good news. We, as humans, no matter how hard we try to live good lives, to build good civilizations, no matter how hard we try, there is still something fundamentally wayward in us that no matter what we eat and metabolize, we're going to end up dead. We're going to die. We can't reach wholeness. We can't reach abundant life. But what we see in Jesus, something utterly unique, is the creator, is life himself entering into the story, entering into history, into time and space, live, like testifying to that life because the fruits that emerge out of it are something we don't see elsewhere. Being crucified, being executed unjustly for reasons that we're still trying to understand. And then because he is so perfectly united with God, because he is God, not death still can't keep life down. And being raised again, saying, for whoever wants it, the presence of God is here. It's yours. You don't have to earn it. It's a gift right where you are today. Without taking a single step, it's yours. Do you want to be free? Do you want to live? And if so, then come to me, says Jesus. Come to me, not anywhere else, to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And that's the second part. Though, though life is free, the cultivating of life necessitates we eat something new. We have to consume new things that will transform us into looking like Jesus. And that's what this series is gonna be about. The way of Jesus, we're gonna examine some of the practices and the patterns and the spiritual habits that Jesus himself engaged in that led him to feed on the Father, to feed on life, that changed his heart so that what he loved most, what he wanted most was to be in the presence of God so that we too can have that as well. So to continue what we talked about earlier, if it's I, not I think therefore I am and maybe not I love therefore I am, it's more of I love Jesus, I love God in the flesh. Therefore, I am abundantly alive. Because what you love, what you eat, metabolizes into your being, into life or death. And at least according from what we see about Jesus, I want to eat whatever he's eating. Because I haven't seen another story, another figure like him. Even if I don't believe fully, at least believe the fruits, believe what emerged from this story, from this life, and step into it. So one of these, well actually two of these that we've been talking about throughout the month of January, two of these practices is the Lectio Divina journals and uh, pray, praying for one another in the community. And I think it's important when, um, when we start thinking about what is it that Jesus is inviting us into, that we get quiet because it looks different. So what we're going to do over these next couple weeks is look at some of the main ones, like the, the overarching ones, like, like solitude, prayer, um, um, 
meditation. We're going to look at some of these. But again, recognize that what we're being called to is not the practices. What we're being called to is him. And he might have different invitations for each one of us if we're willing to listen. So Anna and I did this to start 2019. We sat down, we prayed together, and we made ourselves available. We said, Jesus, what patterns, what rhythms do you want to invite us into this year that will lead us to feast on you and lead us to be transformed and to experience abundant life. And I, I'm, I wrote some of mine down and I put it up to share in vulnerability. And some are very spiritual and some are, are gonna seem not spiritual, but they are for us because Jesus knows our story and knows what we need. So some, I wake up at 5.15 for Lectio Divina Journal, for prayer, for devotion and study. And then before bed, I listen to one worship song on my knees, that's important. That's something God invited me into that when I listen to the song, I can't stand because there are definitely some days I don't want to get on my knees, but the posture of the body matters and something shifts in you. So I do that and I read one song. I also, some of these practices and rhythms, I serve Anna two to three times a week. She loves to remind me of that one. Back rubs, notes, flowers. Really, if I just gave her three back rubs a week, she'd be happy, like she would. Uh, Buy a car. That doesn't seem very spiritual, does it? If you knew our story, you would know. But this is something that Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you into this. This is a rhythm that some of y'all that have cars are like, don't do it. (laughs) But this is a rhythm that is gonna lead toward life. One new New York City thing each month for Anna and me. And then we partner with safe families together. These are just some of the things. And it's important. We're gonna talk about Lectio and prayer before we, before we close today, but it's important for you. I wanna challenge each of you and whether you are a follow, whether you would call Jesus, accept his claims about himself, that he is who he says he is, that he is singular and unique in the cosmic story, or whether you're not so sure. And he'd be cool with that. He said, okay, fine, don't believe my words. Believe the fruit. I would challenge all of you today at some point to get quiet, get alone, and actually ask him. And I know that seems so crazy, but ask him, be like, okay, based on what relationship or lack of relationship we have, what is one thing, God, Jesus, that you want to invite me into? A step, a pattern, a rhythm that you want me to take, a step. And then I wanna challenge you to do it and start consuming something different and see what happens. Because it's important. It's not just the practices themselves. It's the one who invites you into it. So he might not tell you to buy a car. He told us that. So what is it in your story? I want to invite the band back up in this at this time. Because one of these practices that we've been talking about is the Lectio Divina Journal. If you were here last week, you could go ahead and pick yours up. If you didn't pick yours up last week and you've already ordered it, after service, it's gonna be in the lobby. Go there, pick it up. If you haven't bought one yet, there's only a few left, (laughs) though we can't order more. So after service, you can still go back to the table and and buy one for five bucks. Um, But I wanna really quickly, because I don't know people's experience with the Lectio Divina, I wanna really quickly put up how this is gonna work over the next couple months that we do together. Both Lectio and prayer. So there are five parts uh, to, it's a very old practice, five parts, the Lectio Divina Journal. And they're Latin words, which is very fun to say. (laughs) 
But it starts, and, and, and if we're following this logic of what we eat and how we metabolize, then I sort of like built that into it. So it starts with silencio, silence. Think of it as a palate cleanser. So whether you start in your, your day with Lectio or you end your day or in the middle of the day, we get silent, we clear our minds and our hearts, and we make ourselves available to God. And then we go to Lectio. And in Lectio, we have a passage for the day that we read from the Bible. And it says, if you can, if it's not weird and you're in public, read it out loud. Because reading out loud, you hear it completely differently than when you read it silently. So we read the passage out loud. Think of it like receiving the food. We've cleansed our palate, now we're receiving the food. Meditatio, we meditate on the passage. What is God saying in this passage to you? We chew the food. Oratio, now we've meditated on it. We turn it into a prayer and we write something down. We write a prayer. We swallow the food. And then contemplatio, we contemplate, we digest what God has shown us. Quite literally, through a bunch of different elements, we are consuming something new. And then the other part that's gonna be unique to our community is every Sunday, we're gonna send out an email. And in that email, it's gonna have some tips on how to pray for those who are new to this, but it's also gonna have the list of who we're praying for. And what I encourage you to do, as you see what I did with mine, is I looked at that list and I transcribed the names into my Lectio journal. So for tomorrow on February 4th, what the community, who the community is gonna be praying for is Sonny and Brian, Darren J, Russell J, definitely pray for him, Nathan C, and Keith C. Now, some of you know those names, other of you do not. That's okay. If you know them personally, you might know some things to pray for them. If you don't, what I encourage you to do is remain quiet, open, see what words come to mind for them. Perhaps the passage sparks something. There's power. There's power when we make ourselves available to consume God, to consume something different. There's power when we lift our hearts, when we lift what we love toward one another. And so what I wanna do right now is invite you to close your eyes. And since today, February 3rd, is kicking off the prayer calendar, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a couple seconds, take a little time, and I want you to take a step of faith and ask God for one practice, one, one invitation. I don't know what your relationship with God is like. I don't know what you think when you see Jesus. But I do know, friends, my gosh, I know it. He wants to speak to you. He wants to bring you alive. He's the God that brings the dead to life. Lord Jesus, you've invited this community into a new season. 
So for every person in this room, right now as they silence their hearts, give them a step. Show them your face, speak. verse is coming to mind right now with every eye closed. If you're at one hope, we talked about it. Isaiah 43, where the prophet says, forget the former things. Stop dwelling on the past. Can you not see it? I am doing something new. Stop dwelling on the past. It's all done through Jesus. His love is eternal. His life is yours. It's not up to you. Stop dwelling on the past. You are free to come to him anew. You're free to try something new. Because look, I bring water out of the desert. That's who God is. He brings life when it seems like only death is present. So whatever the invitation is for you, write it down, do it, (laughs) just do it. Come to him and you will find rest for your souls. And as a community, because the prayer calendar kicks off today, we're gonna pray for these names on February 3rd. So we pray for Lena and Eduardo and for Liz Combs and for Sarah and and John W and Jane N. Father, we lift those names up to you, those people who are part of our community Many of their stories I know, for I know them and love them. But our hearts circle around them and we we pray, Jesus, that they would know as they step into this new season that life cannot be found but in you. It can't be found in their marriages. It can't be found in their work. It can't be found in even the best things that they hope for. That's not where life is the abundance of life, what they, are, what they were made to feast upon, to bring them life is you. So would you give them that courage to take a step? Would you show them what you want them to, to drop, what they're holding in their hands that they need to let go of so that they can step into something new and you can put something new into their hands? Lord, we pray like Luke 6, that they would eat something new and find rest, find life, find power, because you promise us it's ours. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your patience. Thank you that you came to earth. Thank you that there's no story like you and there's no one like you. We worship you even if we don't fully know you. We worship you, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Savior. Teach us to love you better. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.